If you feel alone or like you're struggling, you feel alienated, you feel like the only one dealing with what you're dealing with, I want you to know that you are not the only one dealing with that. I want you to know that you're not alone. If you want to become the woman whose imposter syndrome doesn't take you for a ride because you know better, you've got to become really good at noticing when your brain is creating these big stories or these big feelings inside you and naming what is happening. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the podcast. I hope that you are doing really well. I hope that 2022 has been treating you good so far. And I hope that you're feeling what I'm feeling, which is a sense of renewal and new possibility. I love thinking in possibility. I love thinking in what could happen. I love thinking in new opportunity. And that makes a lot of sense. As a coach, that's pretty much my job. And I hope you can join me in this energy of using the new year, not as a way to get like self-punishing with resolutions and I have to do this and I have to do that. But for me, it's more seeing it as like this vast, unexplored frontier. (laughs) Like we're all gold prospectors and it's the gold rush and we have all this land and opportunity ahead of us that we get to go out and tackle. I find that to be really encouraging, really motivating. And today's episode will be really helpful. I'm getting back to basics today, and I'm talking all about imposter syndrome. I'm going to be telling you about my experience with imposter syndrome, which was hard and felt so awful and led to so many bad feelings and horrifying moments in my career. And I'm going to be sharing with you my perspectives on imposter syndrome and how I think about the underlying work of moving past imposter syndrome. And actually, I don't even want to say moving past it. What I want to say to be more precise is moving through it. Because imposter syndrome is something that I view as needing to be managed throughout your career versus something that gets cured and will go away forever. Now, this isn't to say like if you have a really big, heavy imposter syndrome and you're thinking like, oh crap, is this going to be with me forever? No, it gets less, it gets easier to manage. But I think this expectation that a problem or a struggle we have should go away forever really can set us up for frustration and impatience and failure. And it can make the problem a lot bigger. Whereas when we take a more flexible, spacious, expansive view and treat things as an evolution, I think it can help us like relax and calm down and slow down enough to ironically make progress faster. It is so wild to me how literally the best way to speed up is to slow down. It is nuts. Before I dive in, if you're new here, I'm Jess and I'm so happy that you're here. This is my podcast, obviously. I feel like I'm really stating the obvious there, but this is a show where I come on every week to support you in building a wildly successful career in the corporate space or in the nine to five space, whatever sort of career path you are on. And if you're brand new here, I want to invite you to check out some of my free resources that I offer on my website, jessgazitcoaching.com slash free resources. I've got a free ebook on assertiveness, a free three-part video course on executive communication to help you find a powerful voice in the meeting room. And I also have a couple of workbooks that go along with some of the podcast episodes. So if you want to take this work deeper, definitely check that out and I will link it below. It's jessgazitcoaching.com slash free resources. Welcome. I think I already told you I'm a career coach. I'm the host of this podcast. I've also had a career in corporate and I was in the nine to five world for many years. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that today and about that part of my career. 
because the reason I love talking about imposter syndrome and supporting you with it and supporting other women with it is because it's something that I really struggled with hardcore. And for me, it was the worst, the very worst at the very beginning of my career. I went to law school. I did a summer at a law firm and the traditional path when you go to law school, one of the very common paths is you interview to be a summer associate at a law firm and you work there for the summer and then you get invited to go back and work full time after you have completed your third year of law school. I went to work at a law firm my second year of law school and I had a very, very negative experience. I hated it. And here's the thing, if you've ever been in a job you hate, I bet you'll relate to this. There's different ways to hate a job. You can be in a job where you find the work really boring and you're not super passionate about it, but you kind of like your coworkers and you kind of feel a sense of connectedness and community in the office and with your team. And so maybe the product that you work on like isn't the product of your dreams and maybe the company isn't like your dream company, but you kind of feel okay there. It feels good, right? Even if there are elements of your job that you dislike. But then there's being in a place you dislike and kind of like disliking the culture, the people, how things are done, how people speak, how people are treated. For me, it feels like a soul level conflict. I feel it in my body when I'm in a workplace that is just not aligned with who I want to be as a person and what is important to me in the world. And I haven't talked about this that much on the show. But when I was in corporate and I had people on my team, or even when I was just like working with other teams, my values were always very human first. I was always someone in the frame of mind of like, yes, we all work here, but first and foremost, we're all humans. And so we all deserve to be treated really well and treated with respect. And even when things get hard, even if someone has disappointed me, even when difficult things happen, it's the most important thing that we can all do is to be really kind and respectful and understanding to one another and never speak negatively and never intentionally like do things that are hurtful. And I, I just believe that in a workplace, we should treat each other with a lot of respect. And I think when we do that, we create something really, really special. The flip side of that is that if I'm in an environment where that's not a high priority, I tend to just feel really bad inside and it stirs up like a lot of stuff in me. Because not only do I feel bad, but what happens in my psyche is like I'll start to get rebellious. I might start to like act out like that inner angry teenager in me might start to come out. It just, I don't, I don't play well in that kind of environment. And that's something that I know about myself. So anyway. My summer at a law firm was that kind of environment. For me, it was not a place that I felt good in at all on any level. Like every level of it was disagreeing with me. At the end of that, that law firm did not invite me back to work there full time. And at the time, I really felt very ashamed of that. And I really kind of internalize that as something must be wrong with me. And it's really interesting because I never asked for feedback. I did get some really good feedback on some of my work. So I don't know what ended up happening, but I felt a little bit like I had a scarlet letter, even though I didn't quite have evidence for that. And even though if they had said, you know, we, we sensed that your heart wasn't really in it, they would have been right. And that probably was a lot of the driving force behind it. But either way, even if they had said that you're horrible and we hate you or whatever it was, right, that led them to not want to bring me on full time, it forced me to make a career change because I had such a low ambition for myself at that time that I thought that I would just go back to that miserable, horrible law firm. Like if they had given me an offer to go back full time, I would have gone back full time because that's how low my confidence was. That's how low my standard for my own career was. Like I was just willing to go work somewhere that I hated. I would never do that now, but that's where my head was at. But thank God the universe intervened 
and made sure that that didn't happen. But that left me with this enormous insecurity. And it also left me with a really big dilemma because I had had such a negative experience doing like legal work at a big law firm. And it was so unpleasant to me. And because I knew how unpleasant it was, I could not muster the motivation to go out and try to land a new full-time position at another law firm. Because, you know, if that firm had given me an offer to return, I would have gone because it was like so low friction, right? Here's my permanent job offer. I have an income. I can start paying off my student loans. Great. But because I didn't have that and because I knew how much I disliked that environment and I assumed that many big law firms would be similar, and this is no hate to law firms. I love all of the women in the audience who are lawyers, but just there were things about the culture that I really couldn't be in long term. It was, it just, I just couldn't. And so because I knew that I like, I couldn't bring myself to get into the hustle of like what I was going to have to do to land a full-time position at another law firm. Like that just, that wasn't in me. And what I realized was I didn't want to be a lawyer. (laughs) And I know that that's so obvious, but it took that big moment of me not getting the offer to return for all of that to come to the surface. But I am so thankful that that happened because that gave me the moment to pause and say, I need to decide what I'm going for as my full-time profession outside of law school. And I realized I wanted to do business. I wanted to be working in businesses, solving business problems. I wanted to work at McKinsey. I wanted to be a management consultant. And so I made a massive pivot. I applied full-time to go be a management consultant at McKinsey. I had never done case interviews before. I had to prepare in about two weeks to go through an entire series of case interviews. And that was really scary because people spend like years preparing for those interviews. And I had to like really move fast and hustle to get through it during that timeline. And I ended up landing a role at McKinsey which was a dream of mine and which really launched me into such a wonderful career path. But when I got there, I was carrying so much baggage and such an enormously heavy sense of imposter syndrome. It came from so many different places. I think it came from my unprocessed shame that I was holding on to about working at this law firm over the summer and not getting an offer to return. And I was also just carrying a lot of shame from that experience because you know, there were some people at that firm who were very antagonistic towards me and I was mistreated. And I haven't talked about this a lot on the podcast because I don't know, it's just hard and it's painful. But I I know, unfortunately, many of you have probably experienced this too. But I've had a lot of instances in my career and that law firm was one of them where I felt like I ran into men who had some like really weird fucked up power dynamic thing where they were trying to assert power over me and treat me in super disrespectful ways and use the power that they had within the organization structure and abuse the power that they had within the structure of the organization to make themselves feel powerful and to make me and possibly others feel powerless. And so I was caught in a dynamic like that in that law firm. And I think that created like a lot of inner unprocessed stuff. And then I also had a bunch of feelings inside about my pivot from law into management consulting. And I had some legitimate imposter syndrome because most of my classmates in my starting class at McKinsey had gone to business school and had MBAs. And I was actually the youngest and least experienced person in my starting class. So I didn't know this, but when McKinsey is hiring at the associate level, they only hire people who have work experience. They don't hire people who have only been in school. If you've only been in school, then you enter at a lower level. And somehow, I don't know how, but I got an offer without having any work experience. So I was like a good three to five years younger than a lot of my starting class. I had a different background. And not only did I have less professional experience than all of them, I had none. So I truly was different. I had a very different background. And to this day, I don't know how I made it past the resume filter of me not having work experience on my resume and still getting that position. But somehow I did, which is really interesting. And then on top of all that, 
I had a lot of unhealed stuff inside on confidence and worthiness and just a lot of pain that I was holding on to that I had been carrying with me for a lot of my life that I wasn't even fully aware of at the time. And so I came into this high pressure, high performing work environment with all of this baggage, right? Baggage from a little bit of a traumatic experience that I had working at the law firm that summer, baggage about me having a very, very different background than the other people in my starting class, and baggage around worthiness and unprocessed emotions and just things in my life that I was carrying with me. And so I came in and experienced a huge sense of, I don't belong here. This is scary. This is overwhelming. I feel so small. I don't feel smart enough. What if I embarrass myself? All of the things, sometimes at a really heightened level. And I want to share this with you to let you know that you're not alone and that a lot of us go through this because I talk about this all the time. But one of the reasons that I started this show was I was getting so sick of these like successful women who had built these really successful careers, never really being honest about their inner shit and like never really telling the truth about what they had gone through. And no judgment to anyone, right? Spilling your guts and telling the truth is terrifying. So I don't want to make anyone wrong for that. But I felt like there was such a need for honesty and I wanted to be part of filling that need and saying like, hey, look, you can have all this crap, all this inner struggle that you're working through, all these bad, horrible things that you're dealing with and recovering from, and you can still have a wildly successful career. And I will tell you, when I started that job at McKinsey, my confidence and like my life and my financial situation was in the worst place it's ever been. And I thought that I'd feel horrible and be swimming in my student debt and be struggling with confidence forever. I never, ever imagined that I'd get to a point in my career where I would elevate into a leadership position really quickly, where I'd be having so much fun, where I'd be making literally more salary and more money than I even like knew what to do with. I didn't imagine those things were possible. And I share my story for two reasons. One is that if you feel alone or like you're struggling, you feel alienated, you feel like the only one dealing with what you're dealing with, I want you to know that you are not the only one dealing with that. I want you to know that you're not alone. That was something that I was desperately searching for early on in my career. And I want to be a voice for anyone else out there who might also be searching for that. What I also want you to know is whatever you're dealing with, no matter how deep the struggle is, no matter how big the emotions are, whatever you want in your career is possible for you. Whatever vertical or industry you want to be in, whatever kind of position you want to have, whatever leadership you want to have, whatever salary you want to make, it's all possible for you. Wherever you want to live, right? Like it's all possible for you. And I think it's so important to embrace the duality that, yes, you can struggle with something. It can be really hard. You can even feel totally, completely stuck. And that doesn't have to mean anything about what is possible for the future. One of our brain's favorite things to do is look at the past and what's happened in the past and extrapolate for the future. And that's why we place limitations on ourselves because we think, well, If it's looked this way all along, why would it continue to look any differently? And that's why you have me and this podcast to be an alternative perspective to say it can look differently. I can tell you with full certainty that if you are willing to get clear on what you want and you are willing to do both the tactical work and the inner mindset work to get there, it absolutely can look differently. And it all begins with a deeper understanding of the problem and a deeper understanding of the obstacles that you're dealing with in the present moment that might be holding you back from performing at your best and building the exact career that you want to build. And that's why we're talking about imposter syndrome. So I shared with you a little bit about my own imposter syndrome and my own experience with it. And I want to move into now making this practical for you. And now that you see that you're not alone and 
you know, hopefully as I have more guests on the show and talk to more women, you'll continue to see more and more that you're not alone. And if you've listened to the interviews on this podcast, you know you're not alone, although it can be really hard to internalize that like you're not alone because I think there's always a part of our minds that are like, well, but what if like I'm worse than everyone else? Like what if my thing is just worse? I call it special snowflake syndrome, right? There's always that fear of like, oh, what if I'm the special snowflake? But Aside from all of that, what I want to move into for the rest of this episode is helping you move through it and sharing with you what I have learned both from my own career and my own multi-year journey of going from feeling horrible to trusting myself and having a high degree of confidence in my ability to deliver and my voice at work. I want to walk you through what I've learned through that journey and some of the tools and perspectives that I use when it comes to tackling imposter syndrome as a coach for women who are also on that journey. And I hope this will open your mind and give you permission, not just to start to take steps to understand imposter syndrome and to evolve through it and tackle it, but also to be super kind and gentle and loving and supportive of yourself as you do that. I think one of the biggest traps that we fall into when we're struggling with something that feels really icky and vulnerable is we feel so bad and gross about it that we punish ourselves for it. And we make ourselves so bad and so wrong because of it. And I know it can be so hard to find acceptance when we're feeling gross and icky and unworthy and like we don't belong, but it truly is one of the most important things is to say, can I treat myself with decency? Can I treat myself with respect? Can I hold myself really, really gently? It's very similar to if a little kid is like scared or crying you know, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, I can't believe you're crying, you know? Or And you wouldn't say like, oh, I can't believe you think there's a monster under the bed. You're so stupid. There's no monster under the bed. You would say, oh my gosh, what are you feeling? What feels scary? And you would offer like love and support and listening and empathy. And so what I'm sort of trying to open your mind to is that you're always in dialogue with yourself and just notice how you're speaking to yourself and how you're treating yourself when you're in a really big painful struggle. And notice if you tend to want to punish yourself further and try to notice that without judgment. Don't also judge yourself for that or punish yourself for that. We can get into like an infinite loop of judging ourselves for judging ourselves and punishing ourselves for punishing ourselves. Just notice it and try to see if you can tap into or access a little bit of the feeling of self-compassion of what does it feel like to give yourself lots of credit, to be kind to yourself, to be gentle with yourself. I know this can be very hard. Trust me. This is my inner work too. That's why my coaching and my podcast always comes back to this because it's part of my growth and my bigger path of you know my own evolution. So I completely understand how hard it is and how difficult that can be. But I also so strongly believe in the value of that. And with that, I want to talk a little bit about what imposter syndrome is and how you can begin thinking about it so that you can take steps to recognize it and catch it so that it doesn't have a sabotaging effect on your career. Because the havoc that imposter syndrome is going to potentially wreak happens in two places. It happens internally in your emotions, in your stress levels, and how you feel. Like there's all the internal stuff that it causes. But also, if unchecked, it can wreak havoc in your career because it will have you not performing at your full potential. It'll have you missing opportunities to grow and get cooler jobs and make good money. It's going to get in the way of all those things. And so when you begin to tackle it and navigate it, it really is like this double win because you feel less stressed inside. You have less inner emotional turmoil and the very tangible concrete outcomes that you create in your life also improve and get better and it opens you up to what's possible. And it really does start this beautiful upward spiral where you feeling better inside helps you achieve these outcomes in your career that maybe 
you didn't think were possible for you. And as you achieve those outcomes, it generates real evidence for your brain to see like, holy cow, I'm way better at this than I've been giving myself credit for. And that elevates your performance even further. And that's where you get to that place of coming into contact with your own limitlessness, that that part of you that knows I can do it. I can do anything. I can get through anything. I can accomplish anything. I can solve anything. There is a piece of you inside, I believe, that knows that that's true, that completely knows that that's true. I just think that that piece is buried uh, beneath layers of emotional pain and imposter syndrome and shame and suffering. But as you do this work, that part of you will express itself more. You'll come into contact with it more often for longer periods of time. And that limitless part of you, that part of you that is smart and strong and creative and resourceful is going to have more and more of an impact on your career. And that is when you get to be in more ease and less anxiety and have more fun and create more success and make lots of money too, because I am all about women making really good money. It creates freedom, it creates choices, and it helps us have the things in our lives that are important to us. So what is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome, for me, I define it as a persistent inner nagging, a persistent inner sense. Now, it's a little bit different for each person, but this inner nagging or this inner sense often feels like or sounds like in your mind, I don't belong, I'm not good enough, I'm missing something, I'm less than or not as good as everyone else, I was a mistake to be hired, it's only a matter of time until people find out, things like that. At its core, it's a sense of inadequacy, and it's a sense of inadequacy in yourself that is then being projected into whether you are adequate enough in your role or in your work environment. Now, before I talk to you about how I like to break apart imposter syndrome over a prolonged period of time, because it is not a switch that you flip, it is more like going to the gym and building a muscle and then maintaining that muscle over time. But before I get into that, I want to get into something that is really important to understand that I don't hear talked about that I think is super key and super useful, which is this idea that imposter syndrome is not rational and it's not based in logic. And I think that this is really, really important. It is so important for us to recognize that as humans, so much of what we think and feel and perceive is not actually based on logic. We think that we're being logical. We think that we're being objective. We think that we're seeing the world accurately, but so much of the time we are not because that is not how brains work. Our brain will literally filter our environment based on how we're feeling emotionally. And I'm sure you've experienced this, right? You could have like a little bad thing happen, like you spill your coffee or you can't find a parking space, right? When you are in a good mood and you're like feeling really good and you spill your coffee or you can't find a parking space, it's kind of like la-di-da la-di-da, la-di-da, whatever, I'll find it, I'll clean it, it'll be fine. But when you're in a really crappy mood and you feel like shit and then you spill your coffee and you can't find a parking space, whoa, you have a very different experience, right? Same exact circumstance, but you brought a different inner context to it and therefore you experienced it differently. Now, is that logical? No, right? Like not having a parking spot or spilling your coffee is the same, (laughs) but your experience of it is going to be very, very different because the way that we take in the world and experience ourselves and our environments is heavily, heavily impacted by the emotions that we're feeling. Imposter syndrome does not come from this sort of logical analysis that you do in your mind of like, well, these are the skills that are required in my job and these are the skills that I have and my skills don't match, therefore I have imposter syndrome. No, 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 no. Your sense of imposter syndrome 
comes from the same place that your sense of spilling coffee is the worst thing in the world comes from because you're in a bad mood already, right? So you're not coming to this conclusion about yourself, this conclusion of inadequacy from a place of neutral thinking. You're coming at it from an irrational place. And this is so important to acknowledge because if imposter syndrome comes from an irrational place, if it's not actually driven by logic, that explains why certain steps that would feel logical that should quote unquote make your imposter syndrome go away don't work. So case in point, If your imposter syndrome tells you you're not competent enough in your job, and so you go take a bunch of trainings, or you get a bunch of degrees, or you get more years of experience, or you add more things to your resume, and you still feel imposter syndrome, and you still think that you're not good enough at your job, actually, that's exactly what I would expect to happen, because that feeling of not being good at your job was never driven by logic in the first place. It was never driven by the objective fact that you're missing skills. Therefore, you going out and getting more skills didn't fix it. That makes total sense. It's an emotionally, irrationally driven feeling. What we have to do is separate this feeling of imposter syndrome from objective reality. And one analogy that I like to use often with my clients that they find really helpful is I think about it as like our brains can be kind of showing us the truth and like showing us what's really happening. Or sometimes our brains like to play horror films and they like to feed us this really scary negative version of reality that feels very real to us when we are watching it. But if we step back and remember that it's a horror film, we can remind ourselves like, oh, the blood isn't real. The stabbing isn't real. All this gory stuff isn't real. That like head that's rolling down the hill isn't real. It's all just a movie set. This is all fake. And it's very similar with imposter syndrome. The feeling might feel real in the moment, but if you can remind yourself that it's just something inside you that's projecting this horror film and you've just for a moment forgotten that it's a horror film, that can help bring you back to the present and back to reality. But what's so important here is to know (laughs) that if imposter syndrome is an irrational problem, then rational solutions aren't going to fix it. And I see this so often in my one-on-one especially where people very often want to acquire more skills in order to combat imposter syndrome. And of course, acquiring skills is amazing and learning to become a top-notch communicator at work is amazing. And I highly recommend you do that because it will help you elevate your performance in meetings, but it will not help you eliminate or even in a super substantial way tackle your imposter syndrome because imposter syndrome isn't driven by the objective reality of your skill level. If it was, literally all you have to go out and do and is learn whatever skill you're missing. Like that's very straightforward, Right. So if imposter syndrome really was just like you're lacking skills and you feel like an imposter because you're lacking skills, it wouldn't be this big, hard thing that so many people are struggling with for so long. It's deeper than that. It's an emotional problem. So how do you move past it? I want you to think of a few different things you can do, each in phases. And as you master each one of these, you move on to the next. So these are not like steps that you do all today. (laughs) They're not even steps that you do this week. You start with step one and you get really good at step one. And when step one feels like just easy and natural for you, then you move to step two. This is how inner change happens. This is how mindset change happens one small chunk at a time. So I can tell you all the steps and you can intellectually know all the steps. That's not going to make your imposter syndrome go away. What's going to make it go away is you committing to tackling step one until step one becomes really easy and then tackling step two until step two becomes really easy and so on and so forth. And you might be thinking, okay, that sounds easy, but it's not easy at all Because the whole time that you're trying to do this, the imposter syndrome itself is trying to get you to stop. 
the primitive part of your brain that like wants you to stay safe and not take risks and not put yourself in danger is going to be fighting against you every step of the way. So it's going to say things like, this is taking too long. This isn't working. Maybe what Jess shared isn't correct. Maybe your imposter syndrome is so bad that it's never going to go away. You're not changing. You're not growing. This is horrible. That's all part of the game. This is why mindset work is such a bitch. This is why confidence building is such a bitch. This is why this stuff isn't easy. Because you're trying to change some very deeply embedded patterns inside of your brain. And when you try to change those patterns, not only is that hard work in and of itself, but when you try to change those patterns, your brain is also like, oh, hell no, you are not making this change. And so you have forces within you that are fighting against you, that are trying to pull you back into the old patterns, the old habits, the old ways of being. That is why inner change requires such heart, such grit, such commitment, because you need to stick with it even through that experience. So this stuff is challenging, and you got to really give yourself credit for every single day that you move forward, even if it's in the smallest, tiniest way, because what we're talking about here is really difficult stuff. But It's the kind of stuff that when you do it and when you allow yourself to go on the ride and go on the journey, you will feel so damn powerful at the other end because you will be like, oh, I know what it's like to get into a wrestling match with myself and with my brain. And I know how to win that wrestling match, even if I'm sweating and drenched and (laughs) covered in mud. I know how to come out victorious. And that feeling... That knowing is the thing that you carry with you that is the seat of your confidence. The base of your confidence is that inner knowing. So when this stuff gets hard, just know that that quote-unquote hard is building your confidence for the future. And so I'm going to walk you through some of the phases of navigating imposter syndrome that I recommend you move into phase by phase to help you get better at not letting imposter syndrome derail your career and not letting it make you feel really awful and anxious and stressed out and small inside. So the first thing that you want to get really good at doing is noticing and naming it. Noticing it and naming it. All you want to do is build the muscle of being able to catch yourself when your brain is spiraling down into a crazy story about your inadequacy and what's going to happen with you in your career. All you want to do is be able to notice that happening and name that 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 your imposter syndrome is playing out, right? Name that like The thing that Jess talked about in the episode is happening. Just name it. That's it. Because you're going to need to build a really strong muscle to be able to watch yourself and watch your inner world and watch your own mind. Because if you can't watch yourself and you can't watch what your mind is doing, like what's happening in your mindset, if you can't watch that, then you're always going to be in it, right? So it's the difference between watching the horror movie and feeling terrified or being able to say like, oh, it's a horror movie, the blood is fake, the head is fake, it's all fake. If you want to be able to watch the entire horror movie without you getting so scared and going on this emotional roller coaster, you're going to have to build the muscle of being like, oh, it's fake blood, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake, none of it's real, right? The better you get at that, the easier it's going to be to watch the horror movie without being like, oh my god, I'm so freaked out, look at all the blood, right? So it's the same with imposter syndrome. If you want to become the woman whose imposter syndrome doesn't take you for a ride because you know better, you've got to become really good at noticing when your brain is creating these big stories or these big feelings inside you and naming what is happening. And I find that this is one of the most important steps. I don't recommend you rush through this step. I definitely don't recommend that you skip this step because being able to watch yourself and watch your mind and watch what you're doing is the foundation for almost all of your growth, right? This won't just help you with imposter syndrome. This will literally help you with 
all of the places that you are struggling. You can't fix a pattern or change a pattern before you can watch a pattern. You have to be able to watch it and name it and recognize it. So that's the first thing you want to do is get really good at catching when your mind is going into these really heavy, dark stories about your own inadequacy. Once you are really good at that, the second thing you want to play with is acknowledging the irrational nature of that narrative that you have in your mind. This is so hard because part of you believes it's true, right? That's why that's why this is such a difficult thing. There's a part of you, like you, your brain has a thought, you have an experience, I'm inadequate, I don't fit in, I'm not good enough. And there's a part of you that's like, yeah, that's totally true. And and you feel horrible, right? The next work to do is to acknowledge that might not necessarily be true. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that might not necessarily be true because if you push yourself to just be like, no, it's not true, I'm amazing, your brain's gonna reject that, right? What you wanna play with is moving from this state of like, I'm horrible and I'm inadequate and like what my brain is telling me is true about myself is definitely true, You want to move from that just into questioning it, poking at it, like finding little places where you're like, well, is that totally true? (laughs) Like, am I horrible about everything at my job? Like, am I incapable? And really start to question it and weaken it. And as it gets weaker, then you can get closer and closer to the belief system that you're amazing and you're talented and there definitely isn't a problem with your skill level. But you can't leap there. The way that our beliefs change is in slow, steady increments where we gather new evidence and we slowly see the world differently. But that doesn't happen quickly, especially if we have a really deeply ingrained belief. It's going to take time. You've probably spent 20, 30, 40 years of your life reinforcing the imposter syndrome beliefs, the beliefs of inadequacy. So it's going to take a minute before your mind is open to other interpretations. But what you will find is the more you come back to it, the more it will build over time. And as it builds, you will begin to see yourself differently. So the first phase you want to look at and focus on is getting really good at noticing it and naming it. Noticing and naming when your mind is going into inadequacy and telling you really dramatic, painful stories about yourself, just noticing it and naming it. And then the second phase you want to get into is poking at it and challenging it in little ways, seeing like, is is this dramatic thing that I'm believing about myself really totally true? Like, And you can even play with it like, okay, maybe I do suck at my job. Okay, cool. Is there anything in my job that I don't suck at? Like, am I able to get anything done in a day? And that like that can bring in a cognitive dissonance into your brain because you're like, well, wait a minute, like I get a lot of things done in a day, right? And so you sort of begin to play with your own beliefs and like watch them flip around in your mind. So that is the second step. The third phase then is when you get good at noticing it and you get good at poking at it and prodding at it then you want to commit to what you want to believe to be true. And this isn't what you believe to be true. This is what you desire to believe to be true. Because at this point, you've done enough work to get good at noticing your imposter syndrome. You've done enough poking and prodding, and now your mind is open to the fact that like maybe it's not totally true. So now you're really on board with this idea that you have belief systems and that these belief systems impact how you see the world, but that they're actually very subjective. So you are at a really perfect place to say like, okay, I have this subjective belief system of my imposter syndrome. What do I want to replace it with? What is the new story that I'm working to have sink into my brain that I want to believe about myself? And this is the fun part because this is where you get to dream of and think about who you actually want to be, what you actually want to think about yourself. Maybe you want to think that you can handle any problem, that you can fix any problem, that you are limitless in your resourcefulness, that you can figure out any role, that you can get through any challenge, that there's literally nothing that can stop you in your career. And so you get to decide what that new belief is. And the beautiful thing is that since you've gotten so good at noticing and naming imposter syndrome and poking away and prodding at it, 
you're so good at that that now whenever you notice it coming up, you have a new place to redirect yourself back to, which is like, oh, look, there's the imposter syndrome story coming up. I know that that's not totally true because I've been poking and prodding at it for weeks and months. And I know that my work now is to remind myself that I'm working on strengthening the belief that I am talented and capable. And maybe I'm not fully there yet. And maybe the imposter syndrome still pops up. And maybe I'm kind of like in between the two beliefs. But my job right now is to really focus on my new story that I'm resourceful and capable and competent in my role. And I find that, again, this takes time and it requires evidence, which brings me to phase four. Phase four is taking action as if the imposter syndrome isn't true. Because when you believe you're inadequate, it affects everything. It affects how you are in meetings, how you feel in meetings, how you speak in meetings. It affects what jobs you apply for. It affects your salary negotiation. It affects how you approach your work. It affects how you're emailing people, how you're talking to people, how you're doing projects. Like literally that inner sense of inadequacy and imposter syndrome affects everything. What you want to work on is noticing all of the behaviors that are being driven by it and taking the behavior that you would take if your desired truth and your desired belief was true. So you, in step three, I talked about you have this new belief about yourself that you're building. So when you notice that you're taking action from imposter syndrome, you say, well, what action would I take if I really believed that I was capable and resourceful and really competent at my job? And your goal is to begin taking different actions. The beautiful thing is by taking these actions, your brain gets the very thing that it needs to cement the belief that you are capable and resourceful and competent. It gets evidence. One of the most powerful ways that we change our beliefs is through evidence. And one of the ways that we change our beliefs about ourselves is through taking action because that creates evidence that you can do the scary thing. And so taking the new action and acting from the new belief is one of the most powerful things you will do. And that's why I love to do mindset work in conjunction with taking action, right? Because you can be aware of your brain stories. You can watch yourself go into the imposter syndrome. And if you're also taking new action as the version of you that doesn't buy into the fact that she's inadequate, that isn't buying into that lie then you're getting real world evidence that is showing you, oh, I can do that thing because I just did that thing. And that is the double whammy, like the one-two punch of changing your beliefs about yourself and changing how you see yourself. And that is really where the magic starts to happen, where it's not just you telling yourself stories in your head and noticing your thoughts in your head, although that is quite important but it's not the full picture. It's also you practicing showing up as a more elevated, braver, courageous, strong person and version of you and acting from that woman and taking up space in that way. And that helps you see, oh, wait a minute, the limitations that I was thinking were real and that really feel real in my mind so often, I just showed myself in that meeting that it wasn't true. And the more you do that over and over and over, the more you begin to shift out of that place of doubting yourself and being totally owned by this story of imposter syndrome and into this place of becoming the woman that you want to be, which by the way, that's the more authentic version of you. The version of you who is spinning in doubt and worry and imposter syndrome, that's not the real best, most authentic you. The real best, most authentic you is the version of herself who knows she can do it, the version of herself who believes, the version of herself who is strong. That's where you'll connect not just more deeply with your talents and your confidence, but with your authenticity, with who you really are, because doubt and fear is not who you really are. Even if it's been who you are for a long time, it's not who you truly are inside. And that's why building confidence feels so good. Because as you build this confidence and as you begin to see that you can do it and you are good at your job and you do have what it takes, you're coming closer to the truth of who you are and you feel more free to be yourself. And one thing that I would really want to clarify is that 
you are worthy and wonderful and amazing as a human, regardless of how big your imposter syndrome is and regardless of how far along you are on your path of tackling it, right? So I think it's really important not to confuse your worthiness with where you're at. You can be struggling and in a really hard place and not performing at your best. And I think that you're amazing. And I think it's so important for you to acknowledge that you are amazing with those circumstances. But when you're in that position, you're not giving the world all of what you have. There's more that you have to give that's still inside you. So I don't want you to go on this imposter syndrome journey thinking that like, it's going to fix you. You're broken and you need to be fixed. You're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. You're going on the journey so that you can come into contact with your actual capabilities, with the truth of who you are, so you can contribute from the place that's actually based on your talent and based on the real you and not based on you holding all of that stuff back. So I know this was a long one. This one was a bit complicated and a bit in depth, but I really hope that it helped you. And I would suggest for you just commit to step one. Like if you take anything away from this, just commit to getting really good at noticing and naming when you're going into imposter syndrome spiral. That alone can create so much change. That on its own is a huge leap forward. And with that, I'm going to wrap up today's episode here. This, I think, is my longest solo episode ever. I've set a record and definitely won't be a permanent record, though, because I am a talker. But being a talker and having a podcast is a good combination, right? So thank you so much for tuning in. If you want my support on this and if you want a partner and a guide in working through imposter syndrome, This is at the core of so much of what I do with my clients, right? Whether you're just trying to feel better in your role, whether you're going for something bigger, whether you're job searching, these feelings of inadequacy are so often at the core of it. And one of the things that I enjoy most in my one-on-one work is really helping you reframe your relationship with that imposter syndrome, take different actions and begin to start feeling more strong and more solid from the inside out. Because truly what's going on inside of you is the driver of everything happening outside of you. And so this this piece is particularly important in the one-on-one work that I do. And if you're recognizing that this is a piece that you want to work on and you want to work on it more deeply and super consistently, I definitely recommend applying to work with me one-on-one. And I will link that in the show notes below. It's jessgazitcoaching.com slash coaching. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a beautiful day, a beautiful week. I really hope that you uncover so many cool things about yourself in your journey of integrating this information and applying it. And I'm so excited to catch you next week. We're going to lighten up the topic a little bit, a little bit, but not fully. And I'm going to be talking about resumes and telling you how to write a resume that gets you whatever job you want, because that is possible for you. Have a beautiful day. And I'll catch you next week. Bye.